0: is the Enter Sad Men podcast. Every rock and metal album you should own. Reviewed, rated, and ranked.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Enter Sadmen. Uh, Richard here. I'm with Steve and Mark, as usual. And uh, here we are with episode number 66. And 66 means three albums apiece. We are within two of reaching our magic 200 in our Hall of Fame that we are building to find the best albums that you should own you you found the podcast if you want to know any more about us please do see us at entersadmen.co.uk follow us on twitter facebook and all of those other bits and pieces but we should really get on with it and uh, get into this episode which is a rather special episode uh, because as you know from last time the random theme that our tombola spat out was live albums Uh, So for the first time, we're going to pick out three of the best live albums. Well, maybe best live albums we could lay our hands on and uh, deconstruct them and mark them track by track and then see how they fit with, well, mostly the other studio albums in that hallowed hall of fame. Uh, And uh, Mark, shall we start with you and uh, what you've picked? Yes, I'm surprised you didn't open the show with...
2: Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Are you ready to rock? Uh, because the choice that I made is an album that I came across um, at a very young and tender age probably about uh, no 18, uh, maybe less than uh, younger than that, 16, 17, maybe. Um, Cheap Tricks at Budokan, one of the definitive and defining live albums of all time, some critics would say. A bit like a live, Kisses Alive, uh, live album uh, from 76, was it? 77, um, that broke America for them. This is the album that broke America for Cheap Trick. And I um, thought it might be interesting to kind of spin it and try and work out why. So, yeah, Cheap Trick, 1978 at
3: Budokan. Okay, and Steve, how about your choice? I'll pick Live at the Hammersmith Odeon by Nuclear Assault, and it's shit. Next. Yeah, that's what I've chosen, Uh, and I didn't really have a great pool of options uh, to to dip into. Um, I I I did have a think about um, uh, line in the heart of the city, which I did like, Um, and obviously um, Dockins. What was Dockins called? Back for the attack? No, back for the attack. No, beast from the east. Beast from the east. That's right. Yeah, which 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 I like. But if we're going to bring Dockins to this party, which which we must do at some point. It won't be that one. Um so yeah, no so a talking point, a talking point album. Um, one that I knew I wouldn't enjoy, I knew you two wouldn't enjoy, and I think on that I'm not speaking out of turn and it's live at well, probably the fact we've probably had a laugh listening to it, um in some ways. So yeah, live at the Hammy Odeon, um in nineteen I was gonna say nineteen eighty nine, which is when it was recorded. Nineteen ninety two when it was released. Nuclear assault. Richard.
1: <laughs> yeah plenty i think to say about that later uh, i've gone a bit more traditional a bit more mainstream plenty to choose from but i plumped on saxon uh, from 1982 and the eagle has landed so a bit of a range of stuff uh, let's have a little listen to a few tracks from each before we get down and go through review a number more steve will be very pleased to hear a few more live albums on this podcast as as we build Uh, but what do we what do we think because they're because they're different aren't they so what do we think makes a great live album that's a really good
2: question and actually you would thought i we'd have all thought about that over the last week wouldn't you and i'm not sure i have for me it's about capturing the essence of what it would have been like to be there so one of the albums on my shortlist was inevitably made in japan which um i think most people would probably say is in the top five live albums of all. yeah i never thought i would see deep purple mark ii ever in my lifetime when i bought that um and as it happened you know we did because they reformed and i saw them at nebworth in 85 but um, at the time that I bought it, you know, Deep Purple, this massive band, iconic band, I put it on and it blew me away because I just thought that must have been amazing to be in Osaka that night or on those nights. And I just thought that, you know, that that for me captured the essence of Deep Purple. And so I think for me, that's, that's what it is. I think it can be rough and raw. I don't think it needs to be, you know, hugely well produced. I think it needs to be better produced than one of the albums that we've listened to, we've listened to this week, <laughs> but I don't think it needs to be. You know, we talk a lot about production on on the podcast. I don't think that's an issue here um, for a live album. I think it should be raw and it should be a bit dirty and there should be, you know, mistakes in it. But yeah, that for me that's it. I think it's it's does it transport you there? That's that's the key.
1: Yeah, could you imagine yourself there? Isn't it? That, you, know, or, you know, in either. It either brings back the memories of, oh uh, yeah, God, I can remember that, or, or or you can even even a band you haven't heard uh, live before,
3: you, you kind of feel that that, that you're there. Come I mean, Steve, what about for you? No, I'm I'm not getting this vibe at all. I'm absolutely taking board what you said about capturing the essence of a of a show, but it, it cannot capture the essence of a show. I mean, the clue's in the fucking word, no live. I and mean, live is being there. it's it's, it's the event. It's it's the occasion yes it's the music of course it is but it's the show it's witnessing what you've shelled out good money for and uh, you can repackage it as much as you like as a record you are simply not repackaging the same thing and i know you're, you're therefore touching on memories and sna- and snippets and snapshots and things they're just not like for like in any way shape or form i go out for a nice meal at a, 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 a you know michelin style restaurant six you know six months down the line i'm not going to go out and buy a video of it and say so i'm fucking out. <laughs> Fucking hell, that lamb shot, I'd forgotten how good that was. I mean, you know, I, I, don't, I don't need a reminder. I mean, come on, you know, the things are, the concerts are moments in time for a reason as far as I'm concerned. It's interesting what you say about production. I didn't know you would be so liberal about production because I was about to slack off the production on all three of these, but if, if we're allowed to be rough and raw, contrary to everything you preach, Richard, then that's absolutely fine. Um, but at, at the bottom line, at the bottom line, I'm, I'm being I'm being slightly flippant here because, funnily, we've we got three albums here and I like two of them. Um, so which is high praise from me really um i want my bands to, i don't want compilations and, and a live album is a comp it's a greatest hit by, by its very nature I, I want my bands to come out with new stuff that's that's what i expect from <laughs> um it's as simple as that do what so i do so i'm not getting any sense i listen to the i listened to the crowd noise for example at, 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 at wherever saxon was was saxon was at hammy as well wasn't it most of it most of it was yeah it was, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the Budokan, or, or wherever, which corner of Japan, cheap trip we're at, and I think I didn't get any of it. I didn't. I just didn't get any sense of a being there because I wasn't it either, um, or any of those. Um, and I just thought, no, no, no. I'm just, I'm just listening to good tracks done slightly worse, and that's where I'll, <laughs> that, that's where I'll always be. But they're just
2: not for me. You can't, you can't argue with somebody who says it's just not for me because that's fine, isn't it? That's perfectly legitimate, absolutely legitimate. My personal view is you're missing the point yeah. mm. because because actually it's not about it's not a, it's not about whether the, the tracks are worse or better. I mean you go back you know, strange in the night, my favorite album of all time. I had never heard, apart from the live version of Dr. Doctor that appears on that album, I'd never heard any UFO before I Mm -hmm. bought that album. I bought it on the strength of Dr. Doctor. And actually, um, a lot of the tracks, most of the tracks on that album, and I would say on If You Want Blood, as an example, Mm -hmm. are my favorite versions of those songs. So, Whole Lot of Rosie on If You Want Blood is my favorite version of Whole Lot of Rosie. It's not the version on Let There Be Rock. And, and I think, you know...
3: Um, yeah, but sorry, Mark, just to interrupt, the, the version of A Whole Lot Of Rosie You Will Hear on If You Want Blood, it's still nowhere near the same as seeing the thing, being there absolutely. and, and, and yeah. soaking that thing up. You'll, but, never, you'll so, never recreate that.
2: No, but then do you feel differently then, or would you feel differently about... So I, I don't think I own a single live album that was recorded at a gig that I was at. No.
3: No. Um,
2: so, you know, th- that goes for every single live album that I've heard or owned. Is I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if you were, do would you feel differently about you know a band that you'd never heard other than the live album? So, if if the first your first introduction to a band, as mine was with Cheap Trick mm-hmm. and with UFO, mm-hmm. was them live. Would you then feel differently about the live version? And the interesting thing, and we'll come on to this with Nuclear Assault, is that uh, I'm, I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but I'm not going to go into huge detail. First time I played that album, I absolutely fucking hated it. I thought mm-hmm. it was awful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I was like, well, I don't need to listen to that again because it is utterly shit. And then I realised, actually, that the affection that I have for some of the live albums, like, for example, No Sleep or Hammersmith, I, I love that album because I knew the studio versions yeah. and I enjoyed the the live version. So I went and listened to the studio versions of as much of that, of Nuclear Assault's set on the album that I could find. And when I went back to the live album, I liked it a lot more having listened to the studio versions.
3: It. do you know what, that's absolutely fascinating because I pointedly didn't, because I've only got one Nuclear Assault album and some of the stuff from that Handle With Care is on that album, it was the Handle With Care tour. And I didn't go back to listen to some of the stuff off the first two albums. For that very reason, because on the basis of our marking um, process, if nothing else, you know we're marking these tracks. But I have gone back and listened to them, and I just think they don't begin to compare. I think a lot of them are shite on, on either version. <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't get that sense of elevation by then. Re going back to it on the live, um, on the live take and listening to that. But I'm not, I'm not going to quarrel with you on, on anything that you said either of you two or so. I'm not going to quarrel you with it at all. It's a very, very. Per- I think live is an incredibly personal thing. And for me, Mm. it is absolutely being there. Well, as it is with you two, of course it is. Um, I've just never, ever got that sense of wonder um, that I want from a live gig that I know is not going to be there on the grooves of a record. That's all. For me, it's slightly different. I I think what really hacks me off,
1: and um, I don't know if we've got any evidence about these three albums, is overdubs. Um, if I find out that an album, a live album has been overdubbed, I'm very, very disappointed. Um, I'd like to think that Nuclear Assault isn't overdubbed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, we'll, we'll see. Um, because I think not so much the earlier, you know, the, the stuff we review in the, the 70s, uh, I imagine, but certainly, you know, the, the, late, the later things get. All of the, the tricks that are then played in the studio in terms of, you know, how, how often the bands actually play together uh, all at once. Um, so I like live albums uh, because you really it really does test how good that band are playing together, how tight they are, how they work off each other. And the other thing for me, and in particular I could sense it on the Cheap Trick album, is how a band, it, it, how a band actually captures and, and feeds off a crowd, um, in terms of the energy they play with, in terms of yeah, the the speed at times they play. So I do think it brings a different dimension. So so I, I mean I in a live album I look for it, is is this a real test of how good this band really really is? Um, the crowd noise obviously it's in the mix, but again you get a sense of the atmosphere. Uh, and and the the chemistry between uh, a band and and, and that crowd, um, and then to what extent does that does that bring the songs to life? Okay, well, with all of that, we better get on and listen to a few of them. Uh, so uh, we start with you, Mark, and uh, Cheap Trick at Boudicard.
0: Opening album sleeve notes.
1: Yes, so trick
2: mania they were dubbed this was the kind of the this was cheap tricks beatles moment beatles breaking america and you know cheap trick breaking japan or allowing japan to break america for them which is kind of where it came down to um this is widely considered to be one of the great rock and roll live albums i i have no idea how i came to sort of cross paths with it Back in the probably early 80s, because I I wasn't I wasn't into Cheap Trick. I didn't even know who treat, Cheap Trick were, but I knew this album was highly regarded. And I guess that's how I came across it. So this is this is the the, the album that broke a band that had already released two albums. This was the, they were touring the third one, Heaven Tonight. That's what that's what this tour is. It's the Heaven Tonight tour, but they've had two albums, Cheap Trick and In Colour both of which I think are fantastic. But for whatever reason, those two albums didn't break them. But they were massive, absolutely massive in Japan. And a lot of bands were. Um, Deep Purple were massive in Japan, far bigger in Japan at the, you know, in the early 70s than than they ever were in, in the UK or America. So um, Japan was a, a sort of a massive market for hard rock, heavy rock, whatever you want to call it cheap trick rock and roll band really um but the band themselves formed in rockford illinois in america this was released uh in october of 78 in japan but not until february and 79 in the united states and i suspect that's because their big market was japan so that's why it went first
1: i'd read that it was originally intended as an only Japanese album because they were big there they would only they they decided um we're, we're only going to we're going to put it there for the fans over there which is why they recorded it and why they released it they didn't expect uh, it to create waves elsewhere
2: well that makes sense doesn't it no, that would that would make it complete sense so there you go this is recorded at two nights at budokan in 78 on april the 28th and april the 30th it runs to around 42 and a half minutes Producer guy called Jack Douglas. I know nothing about him, other than, uh, as I understand it, he didn't do much mucking around with the mix because he felt that he got everything uh, at the first time of asking. We'll talk. We'll talk about the crowd noise. Um, because there, there are a lot. there's lots of speculation about whether that crowd noise was artificial. And I, I have a, an opinion. I don't know, but I have an opinion on it. The previous album was Heaven Tonight. As I said, the le- one after it was Dream Police. Um, they were never bigger, I don't think, Cheap Trick, than they were kind of around this time. Um, certainly by the time Steve and I saw them supporting Def Leppard, I think, wasn't it, Steve? Not um, crew. Motley Oh, that's right, it was Motley Crue. Um, yeah, they, they, their star had definitely burned out by then. I think they weren't the band that they were in the late 70s But the time we came across them in 85. Um, but anyway, the band's personnel, Robin Zander, vocals, rhythm, guitar, Rick Nielsen, lead guitar, backing vocals, also primary songwriter, Tom Peterson, the gorgeously handsome Tom Peterson on bass and backing vocals, and my absolute hero, drummer. <laughs> bunny carlos i mean that man is an absolute fucking legend he sits looks, looks like he's just steps out of the ninety, some 1950s diner in his white shirts short shirt sleeve top and with a fag hanging out of his mouth and just bangs his way through the concert he's absolutely fantastic um res, full respect to bunny carlos um the highest chart position in the uk twenty nine hit number four on the billboard billboard 200 which was just incredible spent 53 weeks uh, on that chart this album three times platinum uh 10 tracks starts with hello there uh come on come on look out big eyes need your love uh make up side one and then turn it over you've got the fats domino cover ain't that a shame kicking off side two and then i want you to want me surrender Good night now, which really is hello there again, but with different lyrics, and then finally they out on crocs. Right? That's it. That is Cheap Trick at Budokan. Um, that's the nuts and bolts of it. So presumably you were both aware of it. I'm not sure how much you'd heard, if anything, of it. How did you get on with it?
1: I remember that a friend at school's older brother had it. Didn't they all? <laughs> yeah, this would have been, what you know, yeah, what we're talking about, so, 78, so, so, so yeah, I was 12 or whatever. And I think my mate's brother was around 16. Uh, And yeah, I I remember hearing it um, one afternoon at at, at his house. I've 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 known it since then, and yeah, it it is a classic. And I think yeah, back to our uh, our points earlier. I mean, yeah, again, I hope it's not overdubbed or too overdubbed because certainly, I mean, as a band, they were bloody tight. You could there was a real chemistry between them. I think that comes across. I mean, the sounds, yeah very balanced and if that's how it was recorded then that's brilliant particularly considering the, the the time of the album yeah i don't know about the crowd noise um but there, there, there does seem to be some good interaction there's some uh, again i sense times where the, the the band really get that energy back from the crowd and and that helps um wise yeah there's some really really good stuff there's some not so good stuff uh but it's yeah, it's been a really joy
3: and a joy to listen to again this last week
2: um steve
3: i've cheated i've, I've absolutely cheated i've um i, I just or three there's well four or five tracks on this i've never heard before in any form um and i have rather than i've eschewed spotify and gone straight to youtube and watched a couple of these done live actually watched the show to get more of a sense of that kind of live vibe and and, and what it was because, obviously, you, you, you cannot get that visual thing from listening to it through Spotify, obviously, and I wasn't there. Um, and that's, as I say, where all live albums tend to fall down anyway because, you know, you, you don't get pictures with them. So I, I have I have watched it as well as listened to it, and I've watched three or four of the tracks on there, and i thought, you know what? I bet that was a really good concert to be at. I mean, I probably got a sense of that anyway, although I think, I you know, how many Japanese schoolgirls you need screaming in your ear before you just want to walk out? But... I get a sense that this was a really, really fun gig to be at, and they looked like a fun band, didn't they? I mean, um, you know, the, yeah. the, um, it just just looked like fun. I mean, Rip Nielsen is such a sort of band leader. I know he's not the man on the mic, but he, he just he just orchestrates the elements of fun and humour about it. Um, I find th- I find the backstory of the record even more interesting. You know, almost the sort of where they were in effect before this came out, and the fact that you know th- this was. Saved us from probable obscurity, I think. Is I am um, trying to remember who said that. One of them said it, so I like it. I, I, I do like it. It's, a, it's um, I, I do wonder. I am left wondering whether the backstory has actually afforded it a certain mythical status that it actually doesn't deserve, because it's an OK album in my it's nothing. It's nothing astonishing by any stretch. It's 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 an OK album, um, and also heartened. Before before you talk us through it, I am also heartened by the fact that. Tom Peterson says, to be honest, I'm not really a big fan of live albums. He's my (laughs) man. (laughs) So I'm not alone.
2: Okay, so the album kicks off with those screaming Japanese schoolgirls Um, and the obligatory announcements that you'll hear on quite a lot of live albums from the late 70s and early early 80s, particularly the Hello Chicago, would you please welcome from England UFO. This is the cheap trick version of that. Um, and they launched straight into hello there, which is hello there, ladies and gentlemen, are you ready to rock? And um, as a statement of intent, I mean, it's, it's a good, solid, kind of banging rock and roll tune, isn't it? Um, and the crowd are going absolutely mental. You know, let's talk about overdubs of the crowd because there's a lot of speculation that that was all kind of artificially created. I've done exactly the same thing as you, Steve. I've watched the videos watch the, the the show on youtube what well, the bits that you can it's not all there um and i'm i'm kind of you know with a live album you won't know this steve we'll talk to richard now you know <laughs> with the live album you you kind of remember the lyrics and how the lyrics are delivered but you also learn the crowd noises don't you? you you kind of know where the crowd comes in where it go, goes out and knowing what i know about this album i was watching that and trying to listen for the cracks the crowd on YouTube is so far down in that mix. You can barely hear them. There's nothing like the the album. But I think that is legitimate crowd noise that's just been whacked up in the mix because all of the peaks and troughs in it are exactly where I would expect them to be. So I think it's a faithful recording of the crowd, but they've just elevated it into the mix.
1: What did the, well, the stories go, the, the, this, these gigs, the, at times the band couldn't hear themselves. So my view was they might have actually faded the crowd down a bit, (laughs) even on the album.
3: Yeah, yeah, maybe. It's a real. I mean, it is a hello there, isn't it? It's a welcome to the show. And the the studio version is is a bit punkier, I think. But um, this is this is a but this is a very heavy version of the song, far heavier than you get. and it, and it does, as I say, it, there's an old school spine tingle when they play this because of the way it evolves with the introduction. And then and then it is the perfect overture, isn't it? And when you yeah. can hear the crowd and everything, the crowd go mad. Dry ice everywhere. We've seen that, having watched it. You know, Xander at the mic, just looking like he owns the stage. Um, Nielsen and Peterson just working the crowd. It's, it's a top, top song. Uh, not complex at all, but you just get a sense you'd love to have seen this.
2: Yeah. And it's followed by another banging tune this one
3: I, I i disagree
2: i love all of the songs on this album so i am kind of unapologetically kind of own up to the fact i don't think there is a weak song on this um and come on come on i think it's a brilliant way to kind of pick up from hello hello there um it's got a lovely groovy lick to it the band are as tight as arseholes on it as well um and you can, I think you're right, Richard. You can really feel the energy in the band and the crowd here, and they're almost as one. And I think that's that's what makes this album such a good live album is that the crowd are almost another instrument on it.
1: I don't know if uh, I, I didn't check out what the actual order was of the of the tracks because that's the other thing about live albums. It did did do you know, they swap them around? Well, I know I know they did on the Saxon album. Um, but this does sound like a proper starter track, doesn't it? It just settles the whole, uh, concert into a fantastic groove. Oh uh, yeah. Very bouncy, very catchy. Come
2: on, come on, uh, is followed by, uh, Lookout, which I suppose if there, for me, if there is a sort of a, a an ebbing point on it, it's probably this one, although we're talking about kind of tiny amounts, um, I, I, I like to say i like the whole album this is really up tempo kind of keeps the pace up but i but i find it sort of quite forgettable i was going through the track list in my head in the car uh, today actually and trying to name all the tracks and I, this was the one i i couldn't remember um it's a it's a good enough song so i i said all killer no filler <laughs> not entirely. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. I quite like this. It's a proper sort of punk number, and it? it's quite punky. It um, reminds me very much of Roadrunner Runner on Modern Lovers, Jonathan yeah. Richmond. Um, so got that kind of pace to it. That kind of certainly the end. But yeah, it's okay. It's not bad at all. There, there are more filler to come. This isn't one of them. <laughs> yeah,
1: I got I got accents of Beatles, accents of the Who on this, but it's yeah, they're very tight, catchy chorus. Um, yeah, it's good
2: so uh lookout goes into um big eyes uh which is from in color the original track is from in color um i really like this i i think it's different it's uh again you've got the crowd kind of bleeding all over it which is kind of a good thing i think um and i think you know, you're probably you're right that the band uh, are feeding absolutely off the crowd on it. Um, Big Eyes, I think it's got a really interesting, it's a very different Cheap Trick song, I think, anyway, even the studio version, never mind the live version of it. Um, And it's got a really good kind of, uh, again, big groove through it. Um, It's quite stompy, isn't it? And you mentioned, um, Richard, the kind of the, the echoes of The Who on... Look out! He he. There's an echo of Daltrey in his uh, Roger Daughtry in his vocal performance, mm. Sander's vocal performance in this. I think
1: for me, imagining being there, you know, if you're at this kind of gig, by now everyone will just be smiling
3: and having an absolute blast. Yeah. And they sustain that. I have to say that they do. Um, they do sustain it. Well, it must have been a bloody big old gig. I mean, several thousands. We're not talking Hammy, are we? A lot bigger <laughs> than Budokan. I would have thought.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm getting the sense that there were quite a lot of people at the Budokan that night.
3: Hmm. Um, All under the age of twelve, by the sounds of it. But maybe that's just.
2: <laughs> <them>. <laughs> I mean, looking at um, looking at the the set list from not from this particular gig, but just kind of uh, uh, "Hello there" and "Come on, come on." Work, that was the order um, to begin with. Um, but "Big Eyes" was the seventh track on the that they played. Um and then
3: they fuck about with side two, don't they? Big time.
2: Yeah, they fuck around with side two. Um Lookout isn't on this, it must they must have played it in Japan, obviously, but it wasn't on this gig. Um so yeah, they, they they do mess around with the order on it. Okay, so who wants to kick off on Need your Love about the length of the song? Steve, you must have a view on this.
3: I've got plenty of views on Need your Love. I love the first of all, I love the start of it when Xander... in that, that's <laughs> It's classic patronise the locals when he says I need your love and then he says it even slower because that's how you talk to the locals and of course it's a song they don't know isn't it yeah um and of course they go wild when he says it's coming on and you think how the fuck do they know what this song is you know he could have said and this next one's called you know shazoo nanu nanu teletubbies and they would still have gone wild It's just just priceless. Um, Anyway, while they're wetting themselves, I love this. Are you going to say it's too long? Because I I don't think so. This I think it's an epic. I just love it. Oh, good, because I do. I
2: do. But I thought maybe it would be given it was live and it's nearly ten minutes long. I thought that might be (laughs) might have pushed you over the edge.
3: Listen, <laughs> um, listen, mate, I, I've sat through jail. I certainly haven't sat through. I've enjoyed the lights of Jailbreak and Let There Be Rock, and they can go on as long and as long as they want, as you well know live. So uh, even though I wasn't there for this, I think it's such a good song, and it, and, it, and it needs to breathe. How long is it on the studio album? You tell me. But I love those kind of, all those sort of tremolo touch. It's a real builder, and it's almost like a game of guitars. I don't know. I think it's brilliant.
1: Richard? It does, in the end, go on a bit long for me. Even though, was, even then, I was surprised that it was over eight minutes. Uh, it doesn't feel like eight minutes, uh, but but yeah, it. it uh, I find it a little bit loses a little bit of energy uh, towards the end. Because um, the other measure of listening to a live album uh, is, would this be the song I'd go for a toilet break for? Yeah. Isn't it? And 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 the, 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 towards the end of this song, I'd be nearly thinking, hmm, I could get a beer in. <laughs> um but I, lo- I like the way the guitars build um it's almost war pigs at the start isn't it i think and uh i don't know which came first but i'm not sure about this sort of donna summer i feel love kind of uh, uh-huh. chorus bit yeah
2: i don't think there's a single wasted second on it I, I i love the length it's actually seven seven minutes 39 seconds on the studio version on Dreamplace. um so not all that much no shorter the, the studio version. I I am with you, Steve. I think it's just an epic, sprawling, hypnotic, mesmerizing track. Uh there's absolutely no way I'd be going to the toilet or getting here no. uh, at this point in the show. But you know. Okay, so we we'll turn the record over and um
3: well toilet break. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> See I quite like Cheap Trick's version of Ain't That a Shame. That's <laughs> like domino. I think it's, I think they've done something a little bit different with it, not much, yeah. but a little bit different with it. So it kind of ticks that box for me. Um, and you know, it's got it's got all the girls, you know, uh, doing what they've been doing for the previous five tracks, which is screaming their heads off every time Xander opens his mouth.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it sounds like Steve and I are in the same place. I and mean, when my first line says Ain't That a Shame, they included a cover. You know, they had all of the other material of their own material. I I don't understand, you know, why they included it.
3: Yeah, Yeah, I agree. Shit song, done slightly less shit. That's all I'll say about this.
2: (laughs) Okay. All right. Okay, we'll agree to disagree. I I think we can all surely, can't we, agree that I want you to want me or I want you to to want me yeah. is a fabulous song can we agree on that
3: no jesus fucking no if i never hear it again in my life it'll be too soon go on oh, let's see no, 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 let's, let's hear this i i i just don't i honestly i'm uh, just i mean the japs love it of course they do they sent the original to number one i think um bizarrely um <laughs> the, the story behind the song is interesting it, it even they never thought it was meant to be taken seriously. It was just a—it was just a sort of throwaway camp pop song. On it, Xander wasn't bothered about it, and it's become massive. It is a flabby piece of nothing, and there's nothing about this version that improves it. I, I, I've heard it if, when I heard it a second time many many years ago. That was once too many. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't like it. I just think it's. <laughs> if I'm not. I'm glad
2: you clarified it, that, that,
3: Steve. Yeah. I, I, was, yeah. I, was, I wasn't yeah. entirely sure. Yeah,
2: I
1: thought it was. I thought it was on the fence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee, I, 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 I love it. It's catchy, poppy, bouncy, sing along. I like the dual guitar motifs through it. Uh, the crowd participation. I think, and I think I would prefer to listen to this version than the studio one actually yeah me too um there's a classic
2: okay well uh so no consensus on i want you to want me what about um surrender which was a big hit for them um it was on heaven tonight first i think the opening track on heaven tonight and it's a good old rock and roll song again but with a sort of an aor break sort of chorus which is so slightly interesting uh lovely lyrics um mommy, mother's all right dad, father's all right they're just a little bit weird um i quite like it uh, th- the thing that i get loads of in this track is um the strangler's um duchess uh, and they both came out at the same sort of time so uh, mm. must have been a thing but yeah i like this song
1: this is an example where i can really feel they're starting to feed off the crowd there's a, there's a real energy to how they're playing. There's a, there's a, they're, they're tight as hell. There's such a beat to it. You can imagine the whole crowd bouncing. Um, so this is a good example of what I, I like about live
3: albums and live tracks. Okay, yeah, and the crowd would know this and they would love it. Presumably, I think it's a, I think it's an absolutely fantastic track. It, you talked about um, the Stranglers, Mark. I mean, I can hear, I can hear a dozen modern pop punk bands that must have been influenced of the like fountains of wayne have built a career mm. on repeating songs like this this sounds like <laughs> a bright future in sales or something same with jimmy e world all american reject even blink 182 it's a classic classic teen punk anthem way ahead of its time and um i really like it i think it's a brilliant song
2: okay um so the next track is the penultimate track well do we need to talk about good night now because <laughs> um it's really hello there but with uh, with a different dress on, isn't it? Well, it's exactly the same song.
1: It it is, but if you have you done if you compare the two, you know you can feel the extra energy they've got. Yeah. There's adrenaline. This it's faster. It's louder. It's yeah. punchier. So if there's a measure of where you are at the end of a show to the beginning, I don't know.
3: They're in a happy place, perhaps. Yeah, I, and they, yeah set, and the, uh, they thoroughly enjoyed their show as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well,
1: no, I mean, they get Xander's completely crazy. mental at the end, aren't they? Completely yes. mental yeah, at the yeah. end. And
2: Xander's, lyric, Xander's vocals have become completely manic, haven't they? Yeah. Um, you know, there's no... He, he's, he's almost lost control halfway through this. Um, yeah. Yeah, great ending, except it's not the ending, because the ending is uh, one of their sort of... I think a Japanese fan favorite, which was Clock Strikes 10, um, which on the surface of it is a fairly straightforward rock and roll song. But actually, it's got loads of power, um, I think. And um, and it's just relentless. The riffing through it is absolutely relentless. I, I just think we haven't really spoken about him, but whatever you think of the live versions of these, you've got a hat. Hats off to Rick Nielsen. I mean, he's a hell of a songwriter, isn't he? I
1: mean, as, a, as an individual song, there are better ones on the album, uh, but it's one of those things where you're. I'd be contented and happy and thinking, yeah, that was a good show. I'll, uh,
3: I'll go home. Thank you very much.
4: Mm.
3: I'm running for the bus. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking to beat the rush. I'm afraid it's. Um... <laughs> it's okay it's like, i've no great wish to listen to this again it's all right well,
2: it's just you, yes you would have been running run. for the both. this was their second and final encore so you got out before the before the doors were full of japanese schoolgirls so <laughs> yeah. you've been all right mate you've been all right highs and lows boys steve let's start with you
3: okay um well my low is um is ain't that a shame um and the highs i've given, i think i've given the same score yeah need your love and surrender I love the way it finishes. I love that kind of hypnotic end to need your love. We'll give it to that.
1: Yeah, and with Steve on, ain't that a shame for my low? Um, and, well, my top between Surrender and I want you to want me. Um, oof. I'm going to give it to Surrender, I think, actually. I'll give it to Surrender.
2: Uh, well, my kind of low, I think, is Clock Strikes 10. And my high... Uh, i i could so easily give it to need your love um but i think i've always loved i want you to want me i know it's a, i know it's a bit of pop frippery but i absolutely love it it gets me every time puts a <laughs> smile on my face so yeah it, it's gonna be that one i think so there yeah, we go uh that's cheap trick at Budokan, 1978 um one of the iconic rock live albums of all time Um, even if Steve doesn't agree. (laughs) Um, So uh, we move on, and we move on by four short years to 1982. Three albums in, Saxon hit the Hammy Odeon with the denim and leather tour. Richard.
0: Opening album sleeve notes. Yes, the Eagle has landed. It was recorded
1: uh, across Europe in uh, 1981 and 82, so I'm presuming on whether I think the Strong Arm and the denim and leather tours a lot of it was recorded at, uh, at hammersmith odeon um but yeah i, I think that it, it, along with putting no sleep to hammersmith in terms of live albums that captured the metal scene in the uk at that time this sits up there uh, it uh, was released on the carrier record label that uh, they were with and um, you know signed with originally lengthwise uh, sh- just shade under 45 minutes And it's with the classic lineup, nearly, nearly, it was going to be with the classic lineup of uh, Byford, Oliver Quinn, Dawson, and Pete Gill. Uh, But just before they're about to embark on the uh, denim and leather tour, poor Pete Gill injured his hand so badly he couldn't drum. And uh, they hastily uh, drafted in a replacement, a guy by the name of Nigel Glockler. Glockler at the time mostly had been drumming with Toya's band and um nigel had two days to learn the set I, I think not only did he learn it in my view uh i think he's a better drummer and i actually thought, think he brings another dimension uh to uh, to saxon and um and i think his drumming on this on this album is absolutely superb it was recorded again live with the mobile uh, and then they mixed it at uh, Manor and Bray Sound Studios. And the, there was a band that actually produced uh, this album. Uh, in t- in chart terms, it didn't really do anything in the US, uh, but it did reach number five in the UK, which isn't bad for a live album. Uh, Track wise, there are ten and they are as follows. Side one is Motorcycle Man, Strangers in the Night 7.7. 7. Princess of the night, strong arm of the law, and heavy metal thunder, and side two, 20,000 feet, wheels of steel, never surrender, fire in the sky, and machine gun. I remember buying this as soon as it came out um, and uh, I did I did pull out my battered copy <laughs> that still had the uh, the inner sleeve instructions printed in French, uh, but uh, I, I gave it a spin and uh, it still sounded all right, it still sounded all right. So you must know this album, you guys, I mean, how do you get on with it? So yeah, I, I bought it the moment
2: it came out as well. I love this album. I've always loved this. I think it absolutely, you know, ticks massively ticks that box and does it transport you to a Saxon show in the early eighties? Yes, it does. Um, I think it shows, you know, how good Biff Byford was as a frontman. I think it's often easy to kind of snigger a bit behind your hand at Saxon because they're a bit, you know, a bit Yorkshire and yeah, you know, it's all a bit kind of, you know, rustic but um <laughs> but but they i mean this band absolutely fucking rocks they are they were absolutely fantastic at the absolute height of their kind of popularity yeah great album i there are some wonderful moments on it the hairs on the back of my neck still stand up when the when the aircraft fx could come on for "Strangers in the night um and yeah i'm not sure if they were recording it now would they? Would they allow to? I want to see people dying out there of <laughs> yeah. exhaustion. I'm not sure that would make it on there now, but it's just an absolute highlight, isn't it? And I didn't bat an eyelid the first time I heard that. It was like, yeah, I'm with you, Biff. I want to die there as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh
3: dear! Oh dear! Oh dear! <laughs> 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 i don't have this album um you may be surprised to know and i'm just i'm i'm just beginning to wonder what i when i when i listen to this and buddha khan you know we started listening to these a couple of weeks ago and i listened to them through three or four times and thought right part that that's that's then done for the rest of my life and now i think thinking, fuck me i'm gonna have to revisit this and um see what i'm missing listen it's impossible to dislike this album um how can you dislike one of your favorite bands putting together what is effectively a greatest hits album after all um so to that end you know like if you want blood and strangers in the night that's good that's fine because the songs are all good um though i'll go back to the point i made right at the top of the show that none of these songs will score higher than the versions of them on their corresponding studio album um because i don't think you'll agree, you'll disagree. Clearly, I don't think there's anything about them that elevates them. Most are slightly inferior one or two appreciably inferior in my eyes. anyway. I mean, the one someone here that is markedly different. And I mean, they're all tweaked to a degree. But the big deal tune on this, of course, is wheels of steel.
2: Yeah,
3: um, the, the, which includes the kind of, you know, left side, right side shit. Uh, what well, uh, uh, balcony stalls in this case, the back in the day was the staple of any gig, wasn't it? it? was, And it was a part of the show that in our younger days, we, we knew it was shit at the time, but we absolutely adored and we reveled in it, didn't we? And, you know, we would stop smoking when we were told to shout. You know, that's, 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 that's how much we were with the boys at the time, you know? Yeah, we're with you and we will shout and we will win. Um, and we'll come to the scoring on Wheels of Steel later. Not our scoring of it, but Biff's scoring. But again, I, I asked myself... How many times would i play this version of wheels of steel over the album version and for me it's never so, <laughs> but the, the, the plus points is a good selection as i said it's a great selection of songs not good um the band's sounding good form i dare say they were uh we spared any solos yeah, Byford doing his i can't hear You routine love it um they've cleverly shelved all the other toilet break stuff all the shit solos are gone There's no slow down on this either so they're all the plus points um so yeah, I mean in short, it's a good album, and it won't be marked down as much as I would mark down many live albums because the songs are good, but uh, hand on heart, I doubt I will ever listen to this album again, <laughs> and and'm and not and I'm not being rude in any way shape so or it just it's just why would I
1: no, no no, and I think that's clear from how you how you view this yeah uh, okay. we start with motorcycle man the the crowd getting very, very excited. Then the the motorcycle sounds roaring by begin, um, and uh, and the whole thing bursts uh, bursts into action. Yeah, I mean, well, we know this. I mean, it's from Wheels of Steel. I mean, it kicks off at a good old lick, doesn't it? I do wonder with live, yeah, you know, I guess concerts and and you know what do they choose as an opener? Because it it has to be a bit of a loosener, doesn't it? It has to be something that gets them into the groove. It has to be something that is good enough to get the crowd going. Um, but anyway, a motorcycle man, a bit for in fine voice, and yeah, it's a good solid start for me. What, what about you? Two?
3: Yeah, I, I get a little bit of the buzz down the backbone. Um, that, that opening, the crowd noise, the motorbike—it does transport you back. Um, mm. And but it, it, it's it's evocative, isn't it? That opening, um, and you would expect that of a live album. Yeah, you know, that's the opportunity they can do to um, to. to bring in the crowd noise and make it little at the start of a show. And they've faithfully done this song. So therefore, and I love this song. So yeah, great start.
2: Interestingly, Motorcycle Man isn't one of my, or wasn't at the time, one of my preferred Saxon songs. But I tell you what, as a a kind of an opening track for a show, absolutely does the job, doesn't it? Because it's got loads of energy, loads of power. Um, It's got sort of a, a very heavy metal guitar solo in it. And the band are are at full pelt, full tilt and full throat. And yeah, kind of does the job and I'm with them. And I remember being very excited at this point
1: um, (laughs) when I put it on. Okay. And track two, a huge cheer greets the first notes of uh, 747, Strangers in the Night. Um, Well, we all know this song. We love this song. The dual guitars... Come over well. I, th- I think the the album is incredibly well mixed. It, it's very clear. Um, I think there's that rawness. I say uh, I'm praying. I'm hoping it's not overdubbed. Dawson's bass really comes through on this, really driving the track. And and I think I'd say Nigel Glock, I really like his drumming. I think it, it it provides a an additional good groove. I mean, generally, yeah. This was a lot later in the set. Don't think it was actually this, the second track in uh, in the concert, even though it feels like it is. But yeah, it's, I, I, I get. Steve, would would does this track score as as highly as when we eventually do do Wheels of Steel? I severely doubt it, in yeah. my opinion. No, is yeah. it a good faithful representation that makes me think, oh, I want to hear this live again? Yes.
3: Yeah. Well, you've read my notes, so Mark, you might as well have a go because yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> right, Richard. That's um. A- Absolutely with you on that. Um, It's not as good as the verse on Wheels of Steel in my eyes. It doesn't matter, what I'm listening to is great because it is 747 Strangers in the Night live by a band who I love, it's a song I love. What more do you want?
2: Strangers in the Night always makes me very emotional. I love it because of the nonsensical lyrics. (laughs) I love it because I think it's just gorgeously written. I think the phrasing in it is brilliant. I mean, just the genius of coming up with Scandinavian 101. It just absolutely fits. You couldn't think of another. Yeah, I don't think it's possible to find another aircraft call sign that works as well as Scandinavian 101. <laughs> and, and I also think it's quite evocative, isn't it? I can see this plate. You know, I mean, it's nonsense. Set a course into the night. Well, that's stupid. You're running out of fuel. Don't do that. But um, But you can see it kind of, you know, heading off into the darkness, just the lights going, oh yeah, I feel complete. I'm there, I love this, I love (laughs) this song. It makes me weep
1: (laughs) with joy. (laughs) Okay, let's do track three, Uh, Princess of the Night. Um, Yeah, another of uh, Biff's uh, dodgy knowledge of physics, but let's uh, pass over that. Um, Yeah, this this is slightly faster than the album version, I think, isn't it? And uh, what do I like about this? I love the final break into the guitar solo, the guitar solos, and this are fantastic. And then, you know, it's got a proper, proper live ending.
2: Yep. Uh, and he likes his machines, doesn't he? That's <laughs>
3: planes, machines, trains, and automobiles, is. isn't it?
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's his planes, <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. um, but again, you know, I'm not suggesting that there is any danger of Biff Byford becoming the Poet Laureate at any stage. But <laughs> I think this is this is his own poetry and i think he again it's really evocative and i think the live version really gets that i can again uh call me you know call me ridiculous but i can i can see this fucking train i can i love this i love this i think it uh, like you Richard, love the guitar solo the break into the guitar solo and yes perfect heavy metal ending
3: yeah, I've got nothing to add. Yeah, I just I love I love it, and, and when he turns into a sort of that buffany science teacher bit at the end, when he knows you know there's forty thousand watts here, don't you? <laughs> yeah.
4: <that's
3: something. laughs> uh, it 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 is, no. and, and the the banter really really His helps. Banter is yeah. brilliant.
4: It's, isn't
1: it? It. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then further, as as, uh, as you both said earlier, we get into the strong arm of the law where Biff utters these immortal words, (laughs) all right, Hammersmith, I want to see people dying from exhaustion. (laughs) I mean, it's just absolutely brilliant. And you can imagine the whole place at this point, once this thing kicks in, we'll just be going...
3: Absolutely ballistic.
2: This uh, Steve, this has got to you've got to be there now. Surely I am.
3: I'm feeling it a lot more with with this track. There's a couple of tracks, this track in particular, certainly. Yeah. At the moment, I'm getting hit in the face
1: by the guy with the extra long hair in front of me, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. But i think this is a fantastic representation it's, it's bigger it's heavier it's faster it's heavier this is heavier than much the heavier, I, yeah. I would give this a higher score than the uh, the, yeah. the studio version i think Byford's singing so clearly uh there's a real balance between the instruments as well it, it, real high point for me
2: my enduring kind of perception of strong arm of the law is that it was quite thin production anyway yeah that's so right i think everything from strong arm on this album is better
3: echo everything you say i mean this is a this is a nine and a half out of tenor anywhere be at the studio be it live it's, it's a great it's a great version of a great song the highlight of this album by by several degrees okay good well let's
1: move on to the last track on side one which is heavy metal thunder and my goodness this is fast mm-hmm. um i mean they just about hold it together on it don't they i mean dawson's bass line is insane on this lots of good crowd noise at the end uh I, I mean i think this is a really fantastic five tracks side one of a live album this used to be might even
2: still be my favorite Saxon track of all time i just think it's got just the best the best chorus the best chorus ever it is so heavy metal it's not true it's it's just i'm 15 again all over again um <laughs> I love strong arm on this album, but this is as heavy as fuck, and my high my high point of the of the
3: album. I think mm, that is good. I love the you're talking about sort of fast and holding it all together on the eve of a conversation about nuclear assault. This is Pink Floyd pace, isn't it? For um... <laughs> 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 yeah, um, yeah, but 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 the other key, the key. The key words there are hold it together, Steve. Steve Steve Dawson's bass playing, you're absolutely right, worthy of note on any track, certainly this one.
2: So it's amazing, then, isn't it? It's quite a surprise to find out that Derek Smalls was based on Steve W. Dawson.
1: Did you, did you get that I saw yeah that. yeah, because he spent he, he spent time with them on this tour yeah. didn't he yeah uh, and uh, they thought he was, was this guy just hanging around and uh, then a few years later yeah, <laughs> that they suddenly realised <laughs> yeah <laughs> fantastic uh, brilliant okay alright well let's uh, let's flip it over uh, and start side two uh, side two starts uh, with with 20,000 feet um, which uh, again is played at a faster lick I mean this is motorhead speed we've got double bass drum from nigel glockler another fantastic bass riff from dawson of course the immortal words at the end uh, from biff you're not getting tired are you mm-hmm. <laughs> let's move on to uh wheels of steel so that uh is track two of side two and uh this is a much longer version, for those of you who don't know, than the album version, because as we've said earlier, it has a bit of a sing along. And, and I don't mind. I don't mind it at all. A your earlier point, Steve, God, would I listen to this over the studio version? It would depend what mood I'm in. If I wanted a good, good laugh, I, I'd put this on. I mean, Biff Byford throughout puts absolutely Everything into this, and you can imagine. I, I just because uh, i mean, they really were. We talk about live albums being the test of a band. I mean, they were I mean, they you know, they're they, they a proper band, I and mean, they you know, that they, they co wrote all the music, they arranged all, all the music. Uh, there was a real balance between them, certainly at this time when they were at, at their peak. Um, and it comes across in this, in this song. I mean, they must be having an absolute bore. Do you know
2: what? I think this is fucking fabulous. <laughs> would I listen to this uh, uh, over the studio version on, we, on the on the album? Um, only to hear the call and response part of it, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and and to hear them drop back into it at the end of that, which is just sublime. And that also makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up.
3: No one ever would. would, would no one would ever doubt their pedigree as a live act. I, I, I don't think you would. Whenever we've seen them. It's just been an absolute ball, isn't it? Because that's what, yeah. they it's what they are. That's what they are. It's party metal, um, and and it is metal. <laughs> it's proper full-on. Me- it's proper head-banging metal, which, is, which yeah, is, is great. Yeah, you know, it's a great show.
1: Yeah, so, I in mean, the party. I mean this the 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 sing-along, very clear direction from Biff to the Mad Fools, isn't it? Uh, you know, <laughs> that's better. Um, and he just got the crowd in the palm of his hand. I guess we do need to talk about uh, the balcony versus downstairs, gentlemen. I think we
3: do. We've got right because... to wrong, haven't we? Surely. Yeah. A wrongs to right, even.
1: Well,
2: uh, Steve, we were in the balcony, if you remember, when mm. we saw them. Um, and we were definitely louder than the stalls, but we yeah. still lost.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I, I researched and researched. I did not find any evidence to suggest that the balcony ever won. I think it's just one of those travesties.
3: They were, they were robbed. Make no mistake, people. They yeah. were robbed.
1: Yeah. If I, was,
3: if I was in the balcony that, that night, I, there's been a serious miscarriage of justice going on. I'm telling you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the other great thing I love about this song is, is at the end of the sing-along where they do it three times and then essentially the crowd bring the band back in. Yeah. Um, and when you're at a gig and that happens, you feel amazing.
2: You do,
3: yeah. don't you? You do.
2: You absolutely do.
3: It's home sweet home, it's home, sweet sweet home sweet home, Motley Crue. When Vince didn't have to sing it because we yeah. did for him.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you do. You feel. You feel like you're walking on air. I know that's that's ridiculous for men in their fifties to be talking about this. <laughs> it, it is. It is. It's it is pure true. joy, and yeah, you know, the endorphins are you know, some ricocheting.
1: <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> all right uh, let's move on so track eight is uh, never surrender uh, again i listened to this track hoping that there are no overdubs because my god they can play their instruments live and they're so tight i love the interplay between quinn and oliver on this the way they work together um i, I think that comes out even more on uh, this track live than it does on the studio album
2: yeah uh, i i'm sort of so i'm slightly ambivalent about this track if i'm being honest only because I've never... I love the chorus. I absolutely adore the chorus. I've, I've never really much cared for the for the verses mm. on it, if, I, if I'm being honest. It, yeah, even on the studio version, mm. I'm not a huge fan. I, I think you know, I listen to it because I love the chorus, but mm. the, the, the verses kind of leave me cold, and this doesn't change my perception of it.
1: Okay, well, let's move on to... Yeah, the last couple of tracks. Uh, so track nine is Far in the Sky. And I think Mark mentioned it earlier. This album does tail off for me uh, as well. And and I've never bothered much for these last couple of tracks. Again, given everything else that they played and the bands played on or See the Light Shining, there would be other tracks I'd, I'd have loved to see and, and would have just kept this album going full pelt all the way uh, to the very end yeah f- fairly fast track i mean i've always felt it to be a bit too samey to twenty thousand feet if i'm honest and i prefer twenty thousand 000 feet and, and uh, i mean it, it goes straight into machine gun whether we i mean let's talk about these two tracks together i mean almost so, so that you you don't see the join. uh and they did they finished the denim and leather tool with these two tracks uh big man
3: finish um but personally i'd have preferred an epic to finish that's really interesting because yeah. I quite I quite like that segue. I must admit, maybe it's me and the pace of it all. Um, I, funnily enough, I prefer the uh, I far prefer the machine gun version on the album, probably because it breathes more on the on the studio album. It is it just rollocks along for mm-hmm. you know five odd minutes, I think. Um, but I think this works well together. Uh, if you're going to go from one into another without any you know Yorkshire banter, just going straight through, then um, yeah, I I, I I don't mind the ending to this. I think Fire in the Sky is a great track as well. So, you know, they're, they're both great tracks. Okay, well,
1: there we go. Uh, that's the end of our live Saxon album, Eagle Has Landed. We better have some highs and lows. Mark, do you want to go first?
2: Uh yeah. Um, well, I mean, my high is always has been, I mean, much i so love 747. Um, It's always been Heavy Metal Thunder. I think um, that's fantastic. Uh, I can't really choose between these last two tracks. So lick a finger, wave it in the air and say machine gun.
3: Steve? Um, Strong Arm of the Law is blinding on here. Uh, Love it to bit. Don't hate on me. I've got, I'm looking at my scores and I've got Wheels of Steel alongside Never Surrender as as my low. So just to say, just to save face, I'll say never surrender.
1: (laughs) Yeah, machine gun is my low. uh, And just in terms of what playing it live does to the track, I'm going to give it to Strong Arm of the Law as well. Okay, so that's Saxon down. That is Cheap Trick down. And we now move into the, well, further into the 80s with uh, Nuclear Assault, also at uh, Hammersmith Odeon and uh, yeah, their the, the live album. Cool. Well, it was it It was just live at Hammersmith Odeon, I think, wasn't it? Is that right, Steve? It was. Live at the yeah. Hammersmith Odeon. Live the, at the Hammersmith Odeon. Hammersmith Odeon. There, yeah. there.
3: The, the Americans have got respect. Quite right, too.
0: <laughs> Opening album sleeve notes.
3: Yeah, live at the Hammersmith Odeon. Nice. Um, oh, yes. uh, yeah, nuclear assault. Um, so I'll tell you what, let's start with a quote from um, Dan Lilke, Anthrax original and founding father of the band, Nuclear Assault, um, bass player of some repute, very good bass player. Um, He says of this album, I must be honest, I hate this release. It was just the soundtrack for the live video, the same name that was already out. I always thought it was somewhat of a rip off in that respect. If you already own the video, you weren't getting anything new. So there's your ringing endorsement straight away um, from from the godfather, as it was, of, uh, of Nuclear Assault. and. He's right. He's not the only one who hates this release. It's culled from their first three studio albums, and it's easy to see why Lilka thinks it's a cheap stunt, because bear in mind, this was released in 1992, um, which is three years after the gig in question at the Hammersmith Odeon, um, which was on their uh, Handle With Care European tour. And we only get 14 tracks. that uh, there were 20-odd played live, um, because as any Nuclear Assault fan knows, and As we all know from the last couple of weeks, they like to pack them in, um, which explains why this album, despite having 14 tracks on it and live, so therefore there's banter going on as well. Still only clocks in at under 34 minutes. So, uh, oh, the other thing was Lilka had left the band when this was released as well. Um, It it, had kind of gone on to a side project called Brutal Truth in 1990, and by 1992 was committed to that project, had left nuclear assault. Um, So the whole thing's just a shit show, it really is. Um, so Lilka doesn't like it, nor do I. Um, I have Handle With Care, um, and, I, and I do like that. It's the one nuclear assault album I do have, and I like it a lot. Well, on the basis of that, they are one of Thrash Metal's under more underrated acts, um, but you could argue probably rightly, possibly. Um, they're New York headbangers, but with a hardcore upbringing, very much overshadowed by um, the, the sort of New York or New Jersey brethren like Anthrax and Overkill. Um, and they were, a Nuclear Assault were pretty much, a, you know, less than a decade in the mainstream, um, which is, yeah, which is probably l- long enough for a band this one-dimensional. So released May 19, 1992, recorded April 10, 1989, on the Relativity label, um, 33 minutes 50. Producers, several producers, Mike Smith, Scott Metaxas, and Glenn Evans, the drummer of the band. And the band, John Connolly, uh, is down as vocals. Um, Anthony Bramante is the guitarist and does backing vocals. Dan Lilker is bass player and does backing vocals. Um, and Glenn Evans on drums. I've no idea about chart positions. I've not looked. I doubt it charted anywhere. Sales Info, who knows? As I say, there are 14 tracks on here, some of which are over in a in, 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 a, in a bat of an eyelid. And among the more interesting ones are Fuck," Hang the Pope and Lesbians. This is kind of giving you a flavor of, of, kind of what nuclear assault are. And, Why pick this album? Um, I think it's probably as good an example as you want of why live thrash albums should generally be avoided, um, including those with orchestras. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I mean, the point is in the studio. The lines between with a thrash album in the studio, the lines between noise and music can sometimes be hard to distinguish. Anyway, live. I mean, those lines have vanished. You know, they're, so, they're beyond blurred. And the upshot um, is that a lot of what is barely distinguishable on the studio record is rendered pretty much white It. So I've kind of chosen it in a bad mood kind of way as a, as a discussion piece. Hand on heart, I'm sure the punters who were there had an absolute whale of a time. Probably a night to remember for them. Um, it would have been a blast. If this was your bag, it would have been a blast. Um, but I'm with Lilka. I don't care for it for different reasons to him i just think it's shit but it's i'll tell you what it's it's been a fascinating listen if only to realize that i'll never listen to it ever again how have you two got on with it
1: (laughs) what what so um against my um criteria of what makes a good live album (laughs) uh atmosphere does it feel like you're there maybe uh balance clear sound but sounds live no a tight band, no. A good crowd noise. Don't know. I mean, it, uh, there's some chemistry there. Does it bring the songs to life? <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't know. I, I, I've I've struggled because obviously it's, this is the um, beyond the outer limits of, of the kind of music I can I, I really enjoy listening to, and then it's not performed particularly well.
2: Oh dear, Mark. Like I said at the top of the show, I I absolutely hated this album the first time I played it. Um, and I just thought, I know what Steve's done. He's just just laid down a marker and gone, if you insist on going down this road again, this is what you're going to get every single time. Um, But actually, and then I said to you, I asked you on WhatsApp, didn't I? Have you always liked Nuclear Assault, or was this just a random choice, and you said you'd, you'd got handled with care, and you quite liked it, not enough to buy anything else, but you quite liked it. So I thought, well, do you know what? I'm gonna go and listen to the studio versions of these songs, because the studio versions can't possibly be as bad. Bad being a relative term, because I'm talking about bad in terms of, it's impossible to make anything else on this album. I think if you're there and you're, you're, you're at the show, like you say, you're probably having a whale of a time, and you don't really care. And actually, do you know what? There is some good – I don't like Connolly as a singer. I think he's awful, absolutely awful. I mean, he's not a singer for a start. Um, He can't keep up with the band here, so he's left behind. um, And and there are a couple of tracks where it's it's almost embarrassingly bad. So I I don't like him. But instrumentally, musically, they've got some good stuff in here. There's some good stuff, chuggy, riffy stuff. I'm glad I listened to it in this context where I was forced to do some research and forced to listen to it properly. So I think if I'd just come across this album, it'd be like, right, I'll never listen to that band again.
3: Okay, so as I say, 14 tracks on it. I mean, we're, we're, we're going to run through these at pace, but nowhere near the pace these boys are playing the shit at. That's that's for certain. opening track is called New Song, which is the opening track off what was then their most recent album, as I say, Handle We Care. And what I would say about this track, and indeed every track, It sounds a lot heavier on the studio version. And John Connolly sounds, I was going to say, a lot better as well. He doesn't sound better anywhere, if I'm honest, but he sounds utterly awful. Uh, new song on vinyl is a slice of speed, thrash gold. On here, it just sounds so average.
2: I kind of hoped, when I put it on, that it was actually a cover of the Howard Jones song.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But
1: it What I feel like putting this on is this is the kind of band when you're at one of those sort of festivals that I would run out of the, the auditorium laughing. <laughs> yeah, um, but Steve's making me stay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I I like the energy. I mean, my goodness, they're not tight. And and uh, and, and the, the drummer is just out of control. I throughout this, there are some riffs you think, oh, well, if you just kept hold of that for a little longer. But yeah yes i
2: can't believe i can't believe you've just singled out the drummer for being out of control <laughs> <laughs> um i'm not a fan of this track not a fan of the studio version not a fan of this, this oh, okay this version either um uh and it's a mess here
3: critical mass track two um translates okay live i like the song again the video is for the song is great. It's a great song. It's a it's a song about pending environmental catastrophe, apparently climate change and all that. Um, and bear in mind, this is written over thirty years ago. I, I I like the studio version, and I don't like this at all.
2: I don't actually mind this so much, having l- l- heard the the studio version, because I now know what I'm listening for. I think the pr- the problem with this version, that this kind of rendition of it is that it's it's there's no. F- there's no structure or or kind of discipline in it that i think that's that's what i would say about the whole album there's there's absolutely no discipline having fun is more important than playing the tunes maybe that maybe that is the case maybe that's their philosophy about about the work they do
1: yeah i i can tolerate this one a bit more yeah um i, I think it, 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 there, there's some riffs yeah the riffs are all right but you say the, the guitarists don't play together. They're not they're not a band. They're not gel- they're not gelled. They're they it's a, a collection of musicians, separate musicians playing fast. But it's got a good
3: bass line. This is amongst the higher scorers. I dare say it'll score higher than game over, another sort of bass led instrumental assault. Lilka could play the bass. I mean he, he you know, he wrote most of Antrax's first album and, and you know would have kept with the band if but for personal reasons. It, it, Relatively talented musician, you know, and yeah, he plays the bass really nice on "Game Over," which I think is an odd song. It's um, it's called "Game Over," yeah, ironically not off the album "Game Over." Um, it was found on the subsequent EP "The Plague." It's a very unremarkable studio number, um, and I've no idea why they chose it to play live. It, it does absolutely nothing for me.
1: It starts okay.
3: <laughs> the drum fills are so out of time.
1: Um, I'm actually quite glad there's no vocals uh, and the riffs are okay. So um, th- this, <laughs> is, this isn't done so badly. <laughs>
3: <laughs> now that is damned by faint praise, isn't it? It's improved by the fact that no one's singing or this clown's not singing.
2: <laughs> but that is, that that's how I feel about it. Is it? Everything is better when he's not, when he's not on uh, the microphone.
3: I'm not getting, I, I don't get a weight. I don't get a heaviness to some of this stuff. I just get an awful lot of speed and something like Nightmares, which is the next track is you know, on the on the on the original, there's a real weight to it, you know, it's seriously heavy stuff, um, and pretty well written. But it's just you can't you're not getting that on, on here at all. It, and, and they've not improved this at all. Uh, again, it's just a real it's just a track that just leaves me so cold. But I think here the again, we haven't
1: mentioned in much about live albums, because obviously we talk about the musicians, but it is also about you know obviously whoever's at the various uh, desks, uh, yeah. side of stage and, and front of house that are, that are controlling the sound. Um, it's about then how that's transferred to tape. Mm-hmm. And then obviously they've got another opportunity once they're in the studio to then you know, to, to adjust the sound and, and mix it again.
4: Yeah.
1: And whoever's produced this, whoever's mixed this, needs their head examining because all you can hear is the drums. You can't hear the bass at all. And the the mix on the guitars is
3: just just so rough. It, it doesn't help them at all. I mean, it actually, actually makes it worse for them. Mm. Well, the remix was done in, in 1992 as well. They had plenty of time to assess what raw materials they were working with. You'd think they'd have done a better job. It sounds like a
2: bootleg, doesn't it? It sounds like somebody's recorded it from the audience.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah, good point. Anyway, then we go on to one of their more famous tracks, which is called Fuck." Um, a none too subtle... Ode to Vince Neil and the infamous car crash in which um, uh, Razzle, Hanoi Rock's drummer, died, which Lilka found unforgivable that he got away with it, effectively, Neil, which he did. He he, he was given community service and a fine, um, despite being convicted of manslaughter. I'll quote Lilka, he said, just because he was famous, all he had to do was some community service and do some public service announcements about drunk driving. He literally got away with murder we thought he should have gone to prison and got anally raped like most young men do when they're put in United States prisons. We made the whole thing funny, but we meant it. And the track is funny and full on and there's there's no no hidden lyrics. (laughs) It is what it is. Um, Also contains a stupidly weird blues section in the middle with Connolly commenting in the lyrics that they can do this because it's their song. And if I'm honest, (laughs) I'm sure that Plebs are loving it and soaking it up. But it's so fast that Connolly can't even keep up. He, he doesn't even try. Well, it is. I mean, I've I find this, I,
1: I, I ended up just finding this very, very funny um, because they start off with a dirge and proof that they can't play slowly in time with each other. <laughs> um, then, yeah, then we get into the fast section. And then there's bizarre blue shuffle finish. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I've no more words.
3: Hey ho, um, survive is the next track. Um, it's, it's one of the best, it's actually my favorite track off this album. It's, um, it, it, because it, in terms of how it translates to the live arena, it's quite good. It gets very confused around, um, and just after Anthony Bramante's solo, but it finishes well and goes into another good track in torture tactics. Um, yeah, survive. This is one of the more manageable ones. I I, I, I like the studio version as well.
2: I can't understand how John Connolly survived in this band. How did somebody not go, do you know what, lads? I don't actually think he's very good.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Can we, can we not do better?
2: (laughs) Yeah. yeah. This is another studio track. That's actually quite good.
3: Yeah, it is. It's a torture tactics again off handle with care and a really, really top, top track. Um, but not here, I'm afraid it's a real punchy anthem in the studio with breaks that reek of anthrax um which is probably why i like it um, but just not this version you're just not getting that really mm. there are you know,
1: some real bits thinking uh, i was thinking okay there's some good riffs there but the you, the the mushy guitars the fact that they're not playing together they imagine you know, th- this could be so much punchier and obviously change the singer and and you you've there's some the basics of a decent song here. Mm-hmm.
2: This this is my high point of the album. I think it's the most together they are, and that's not really saying very much because it, it's it's a fairly low bar to to clear. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, there is some form and shape to this. It's got a lovely riff chugging through it, um, and actually, do you know what Connolly's voice doesn't annoy me like it does on. Virtually everything else on this album. So yeah, Torch, Torch, Taxi, and the the studio version is an absolute cracker.
3: Yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely is. Yeah, I'd say the same about Trail of Tears as well, which is the next track, which Connolly wrecks as soon as he opens his mouth. But which is a shame because it starts off nicely, nice riff, nice stop start all round. In fact, um, and then as I say, Connolly comes in and just butchers it. Um, but I get a sense that under if you've not heard the song before, you'd get a sense listening to this that underneath the carnage there's a decent track. Um, mm. And it's off handle with care. And I remember the first time I heard it, I thought it was a good song. I thought it was a, you know, seven out of tenner, um, but just not on here, you know, just not on here. They're doing themselves no favors. If that was ever the intention, I'm sure the video, which is what this um, album was culled off, was probably a good watch. Yeah. A relatively good watch. I mean, it, cause it would, you'd see the sort of the, the nutter's going ballistic and the band doing what they do, Richard, as you said, you know, all the energy you're getting, um, but you get none of that. You, you get none of that from this album.
2: Yeah, I'm with you, Steve. I think I think this is in a similar ballpark to Torch Tactics. I quite, again, relatively speaking, comparing it to the other tracks in the album. I quite like it.
1: Yeah, it's some good riffs that are in there somewhere. Uh,
3: interesting time signature, but it does blend into just one racket, really, doesn't yeah. it? Right. And now the fun starts, except, of course, it isn't fun. It's utter nonsense. We have five tracks piled, one on top of each other, um, with a total running time of around four minutes. Um, As I said, a a blast if you were there, I'm sure. But it's utterly meaningless. They are Mother's Day, My America, Hang the Pope, Lesbians and Funky Noise. Not one of them is more than about a minute. And um, what is there to say?
2: What I'll say is, I quite like funky noise.
3: <laughs> oh, so you mean? Do yeah, no, okay, I get that. That Lilka bass line, yeah. it's quite good, isn't it? Yeah.
2: yeah, it's got, yeah, if they were a funk band, they'd be quite good, I think. Yeah, yeah.
3: true, um, true. I mean, so so, so for what it
1: is, my notes are as follows. Can't keep up, hmm, good bass line. <laughs> do they compose these? Are they repeatable? It's funky and short. There you go. <laughs>
3: That's, I think uh,
2: you've j- just done our job for us.
3: Very good. Um, And we sign off with a song called Good Times, Bad Times. And if you're thinking, well, that sounds familiar. They've surely not done the Zeppelin classic, have they? Oh, yes, they have. (laughs) Oh, how Robert Plant must wish he could sing like John Connolly. Lilka was a massive John Paul Jones fan, by the way. Um, (laughs) I'll tell you what. I mean, notwithstanding Lilka's bass playing and the fact that it is quite fun, um, this is just a school band at a six-form gig in it, knowing they're about to get chucked off stage for being utterly shy, and they're just going to go out with a bit of Zeppelin. Um, and it makes me laugh. I mean, it's just awful. It certainly hits the cover brief because it sounds absolutely nothing like the original. <laughs> And they rattle through it in about two minutes. It's just priceless. <laughs> Terrible and priceless.
2: How many different vocal styles does he try <laughs> in, in an attempt to get to the note? <laughs> I, I'll tell you what, though. This falls into the so bad it's good category.
1: Yeah. No, I don't. No, I don't. no. No, they've, they've, they've just murdered this. This is absolute <laughs> shite. Absolute shite. <laughs> oh, um, I mean, you know, imagine even if you heard this in a pub, you
3: yeah. wouldn't drink there again.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh, Unbelievable. Yeah, and I had the gall to criticise cheap tricks, Fats Domino. But yes. You know? <laughs> yeah. Hey ho! Listen, can we find any highs? Can we find any highs to go with the abundant loads? What you got?
2: Uh, i think torture tactics be my high i Mm -hmm. I actually quite like that perm one from five um i hated mother's day the moment it started i've not stopped hating it since so i'll I'll go for that
1: Mm -hmm. uh for me um i'll give the high to critical mass and yeah the the well i I think lots of i mean i mean that buttfuck i just thought was rubbish uh the short ones no but I'll give my low to good times, bad times, because, sorry. I mean, it, it, if, if you're going to ruin your own songs live, don't ruin other people.
3: <laughs> Brilliant. The governor has spoken. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, Survive, My High, and, yeah, any number on Mother's Day, My America, Lesbians, but they all get the same score, which is very low. Um, so there you have it, three live albums. Oh. <laughs> across the entire spectrum of the uh, of the, of the rock and metal rainbow. And now we've got to mark them, which is going to be even more fun, I dare say. So we're going to go away and do that now and see where these three albums wind up um, in the Hall
0: of Fame. Reviews complete. Initialising rating process.
2: OK, so scores are in. Uh, the judges have spoken. That's us. Uh, and, well, the fate of these three albums collectively has been... Sealed. So the scores on the doors for Cheap Trick uh at Budokan from nineteen seventy eight. Well, Steve, you gave it a six point six. Uh Richard, you gave it a seven point one. I loved it, always ha- always have uh eight point one seven for a an average album score of seven point two nine dead. Uh Saxon, Richard.
1: Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. I think we all enjoyed it. Even Steve did even Steve to give it a score of 7.2 and I gave it a score of 7.5 and Mark Mark liked it most of all with the 7.85 and that gives the Eagle has landed an overall of a 7.51 Steve
3: nuclear assault
1: how much do we like that
3: Mm, yeah the um the contempt for this is unanimous that's all I will say and um uh, you gave it 3.53, 3.53, can't even talking in these numbers. Um, Mark, you gave it 3.94, I loved it. Gave it 4.75 for an overall score of 4.07619. I don't have to go to the Hall of Fame to know exactly where this is going to wind up, but let's pop over there anyway, just to see where Saxon and Cheap Trade managed to get.
0: It's time to put the rock in a hard place, opening the Hall of Fame. Okay, so here we are in the Hall of Fame.
3: Um, three more albums to pop in there. It takes us up to 198 in our illustrious league table of excellence. Although when I say excellence, we have a new low. We have a new low tonight uh, on this episode, which is live at Hammersmith Odeon by Nuclear Assault. It's so far adrift, um, you can barely see it. Uh, Destroy the machines by Earth Crisis, which we thought w- w- would never be peaked in its awfulness, but um, clearly we were wrong. Anyway, as with the other two, they did fine. Um, So At Budokan by Cheap Trip, 7.29, winds up at number 130. Seems like a long way down, but, you know, it's in the sevens and it's a a log jam. It's a log jam in there. Um, And Saxon's The Eagle has landed um, at 7.5, jammed between lightning strikes by loudness, soul destruction by the Almighty, number 93. So none of these three have um have, you know ripped the arse off the lead table, have they? But um I w I don't think we ever thought they would, did we?
2: No, I think I think it's always going to be hard, isn't it, for a, a live album to kind of scale the sort of dizzy heights. I mean I know I know the two that we had done before this episode, Strangers in the Night and If You Want Blood, um both kind of disprove that theory, but oh, I think yeah, they are yeah kind of you know uh, you can you can probably look ahead and go deep purple made in japan might do but i know that you've had issues with that steve you might look at um live in the heart of the city and say that's got a decent chance of doing well but by and large i think i think because of the nature of live albums um that they aren't going to fare particularly well in lists like this and certainly not in this list Right, so that's, that's episode 66, Done and Dusted. The next time we see you, um, we'll be taking Hall of Fame over the 200 mark with the next three albums. And, um, well, if you were listening to the last uh, episode we did, you'll know um, that uh, the random theme that was spat out by, uh, by Tico Torres, Tombola of Topics and Themes, was life and um well we each had to come up with an album that reflected life in some form and that could be (laughs) literal um so it could be a life form uh or it could be sort of more kind of i suppose um symbolic so it could be things like life events um or it could just simply be the word life in the title of an album um it was It should have been quite easy. I'm not sure it was. Um, Steve, um, what did you choose?
3: Okay, so life to me meant the stages of life, and where better to start than birth, is what I thought, and babies. So I thought that sooner or later, we would have to burst This Is It. At some some stage, we were going to have to confront... an album famous for having a picture of a baby on the cover. And yes, I know, Mark, it's controversial, and I know you're going to hate me for it, but yes, I have chosen Alice Cooper's Billion Dollar Babies. Thank God.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Very good. (laughs) Richard. Uh, So I was thinking of what make makes life life and so uh i settled on the theme of holidays and where better to take your holidays than in eden so i've gone for hogarth era Marillion and their second album
2: excellent well i I, I, i'm it's been a long time since i played that so um i shall look forward to um I should look forward to that. Um, so, well, Steve, you'll be really surprised to find that uh, I went down the same sort of road. And I went for, I thought, well, okay, probably the biggest part of life is, is birth. And so I thought, well, what we really need to do is kind of tackle the elephant in the room. So um, when I was saying no, 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 it was because I thought you had duplicated... <laughs> Um, the album that I have chosen. Um, so yeah, this <laughs> week you're all going to be listening to Mother Love Bone's Apple.
3: Oh, 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 oh you little tinker!
2: <laughs> I love it. If nothing else, this sequence has demonstrated just how much none of us want to listen to Nirvana.
3: <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, dear. So, yeah, so that'll be that's going to be fun. There's three more very varied albums to, uh, to get stuck into, get marked and reviewed and rated and logged in the Hall of Fame. be interesting to see. I doubt it will be as much fun as this week, but who knows? Um, come and join us next time around. Uh, we certainly look forward to your company, um, and we'll see you next time. All the best. Cheers. <laughs>
0: All music clips featured in the Enter Sad Men podcast appear within the context of criticism and or commentary and as such are used under the fair use provisions of the exceptions to copyright rules of UK and international copyright law. To make sure the rock rolls forever on, Mark, Steve, and Rich urge all their listeners to show their love and support for the artists and writers featured on the show by purchasing the original music or subscribing to a licensed and regulated streaming service.